Good evening. I love singing with you guys. I love those songs. It's great when you preach, you get to pick the songs usually, so that was fun. Uh, the sermon tonight um, is titled, God's Word Lights Our Path. And you can flip in your pew Bibles to Psalm 119 or your own Bibles if you brought them. And we're going to be looking at verses 97 through 112. Or if you have a pew Bible, that's page uh, 514. Uh, so, word of honesty. Um, I, I've gotten to teach from wisdom literature before, but I think this is my first time preaching from Psalms, which is great. Uh, and I love the passage that we have before us tonight. Uh, but as I read through it, as a Pharisee, I think of these as like rules to follow. And so it's really hard to separate the law from grace in some ways. And so what I want us to do tonight, if you hear nothing else, is that this book, the Bible, it is a guide, it is a light, it shows us the way, but it also shows us to the way, who is Jesus. And it's so important that we don't miss, miss the two. Yes, the Bible has, shows us how life works best, but it also shows us to the one who lived the perfect life, Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read Psalm 119 together. Father in heaven, we do um, thank you for this evening, that we could come on this Lord's Day, that we could come once again as your people to hear from you and your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, your people, that you'd help us along this journey that we are on, and that you would get us home. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So our passage tonight, Psalm 119, 97 through 112. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and I've confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked, they've laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my, my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I love paths. I really do. Um, I mostly love riding my bike down paths. Um, but I also like walking. I like walking on paths. Um, Ashley, her favorite thing is walking. I love the Green Line. I love the Greenway. I love Shelby Farms and Big River Crossing and Shelby Forest and Overton Park. And the best ride for me on these paths are the rides when I go out not knowing necessarily where I'm going or how long I'll be out. It's the journey. Throughout the way, there's different roads that you can take. There's different paths. There's different decisions that have to be made. Two summers ago, I decided to take my bike out on trails one morning, um, not far from our family cabin in Maine. I actually left from our cabin and rode out the door on this journey. 
And I thought I knew where I was going, having looked at maps in the weeks leading up to our trip. I even bought this fancy, expensive GPS unit and pre-programmed my route. But I quickly realized that it gave me faulty directions, and it had a hard time connecting to the satellites through the pine trees. And it had no value to help me figure out where I was going. I quickly realized that I didn't have a clue on this unmarked maze of old trails where I was. A series of unknown turns in an unfamiliar place, and I felt lost. To some people, this may scare them, but I was kind of excited because I was out this morning for celebrating Father's Day and doing my bike ride and having all kinds of fun. These were old fire roads, and they had in long past been roads from one town to another, and now they were just mostly inaccessible roads unless you had a a huge truck, a four-wheeler, a bike, or feet. Fortunately, I ended up on the other side of the lake from our cabin and found myself at a summer camp that we look at every day as we sit on the dock and swim in the waters, and I had a regained sense of direction, and I found my way back home on a familiar, precarious, two-lane, no-shoulder, highly populated, quickly-traveled road. As we all walk down the path of life, we look to something or to someone to guide us and to give us direction. Like me on my bike, my GPS unit proved to be bad, not trustworthy. And as Christians in the world, we all look in different places for wisdom about how to live life best. The temptation for us as Christians is to look for a guide other than God about how to live a faithful life. When we look to the guides of the world, we certainly are led down paths of hardship and maybe even paths that lead to our very own destruction. But Christians look to God and his word as our guide through life, knowing that God has revealed to us his desire for how we're to live faithful lives that honor him. And ultimately, as we love God's word and we follow his law, we are walking through life with Christ by our side. The Bible talks about life as a path. Jesus talks about life as a path. Go and look at Psalm chapter 1. Essentially, in life, there are two ways— the way, of God and the, and the way of God and righteousness where daily decisions are made in light of God's word and his law, and the other way, the way of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the way of the unrighteous, where decisions are made in disregard for God's word and, and in disregard for God's law. One way leads to eternal life, and the other way leads to destruction. This psalm is certainly getting to those points, and we'll see that tonight. So tonight, I have an acrostic for you if you want to look at your homily notes. Like our Psalm 119, we've learned is an acrostic. Um, You have three points in your outline, and it's what, watch out, and then you get a double whammy for the last point without wavering. All the W's tonight. I'm going to spend most of my time thinking about the what, and then we'll spend a a quick few minutes um, thinking about the watch out and the without wavering. So what? What is God's word and law? What does it give? And what is our response to it all? So what is God's word and his law? You may have heard someone say this, that God's word or God's law is the only rule for faith and practice. What that's saying is, is that God's word is the only only thing that we can look to for what we are to believe about who God is and who we are and how we are to live in the world. It's our only rule of faith and practice. Um, There's this great website where you can read all kinds of crazy questions that people have asked about Christianity. It's called Got Questions. And this is what they said about that very topic, about how the Bible is our only rule of faith in life. When we say the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice, we mean that we hold that the Bible, God's holy word, is to be our ultimate guide for what we believe, our faith, and what we do, our practice. We mean that the Bible trumps man's authority, church tradition, and our own opinions. 
We mean that we will allow nothing that opposes God's word to dictate our actions or control our thinking. We mean that we agree with the, the reformers' cry of sola scriptura, scripture alone. God's word, the Bible that we read and that we hold in high regard, it trumps our feelings. It trumps our culture. When God tells us in his word that something is true, we accept it and we believe it. When God commands us in his word to do something or not to do something, we let his word and his law shape the way that we live, how we think, and the decisions that we make every single day. When God tells me in his word that he loves me, I believe it even when I feel unlovable. When God tells me in his word that stealing is wrong, I think twice when I'm tempted to secretly take what isn't mine, which is stealing. And if I steal, and I'm a Christian, God's spirit will convict me of my sin, and I will repent before God, and I'll accept the consequences as I go and make things right with others. God's word and his law, they drive sinful people to Jesus, showing us our need for him, and God's word and his law show us God's people how to live life best. And here's the thing, is that it's not always going to be easy. Oftentimes, following God's word and his law will lead to hardship. But God's word and his law is what we have as our, as our roadmap, our guide, and our light to a life that is well-lived. Amy Grant got famous from this, this psalm, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I remember my mom playing that in the car all the time. Um, El Shaddai was good, but um, that other one was good too. I think a pastor... I saw a pastor recently say this, that God's law is good, but it isn't good news. And I think what he was saying is this, is that for all of us, before we come to faith in Christ, God's law is bad news because it shows us that we can't keep it at all. We can't keep any of it. We've broken it at every step. God's law was given to break us, to show us our sin and our sinning, our total depravity. God's law points us to Jesus and our need for him. Jesus is the second Adam. He's the one who came and lived life as it should have been lived, perfectly, without fault, the Son of God, a life without sin, fully obeying the demands of the law perfectly. But here's what happens for those of us who have faith in Christ. We've been given an ability by God to honor him and to live faithful lives in obedience to him and his law and his word. We've been given new hearts. That's what Jeremiah prophesied about in Jeremiah 31, that God's spirit would come and he would give us new hearts and he would write his law on our hearts. And we as Christians have God's spirit who's in our lives. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is the result, that God's laws are no longer a burden for us to keep but a joy for us to live because because God's law and his word show us how life is lived best. After all, like this is, what, this is what we talk about in the church, sanctification. This is what it is, right? It's saying yes to the things of God and no to the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our catechism puts it this way, that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we're renewed in our whole person after the image of God, and we're able to live unto righteousness, um, that we are able to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. So that's what God's word is. Um, but what, what does God's law give? Look in your Bibles tonight. We see numerous things that God's law gives his people. In verse 98, we see that God's people receive wisdom from his word. In verse 98, we see wisdom. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. God's people not only receive wisdom, but they receive understanding. In verse 99, I have more understanding than all of my teachers. In verse 100, I understand more 
than the age. And then in verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. The teachers in the age, they have, had, they have intellect and they have years, but what they don't have is understanding of God's word and his law. The ability to understand God's word only comes by the grace of God. You could be educated and never see it. You could be, ed- you could be old and never believe it. So we have wisdom, we have understanding, but what else do we have? In verse 107, we see that we have life. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. This makes me think about, think about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He comes to bring life to his people. This makes me think about Jesus and his disciples. And they started, um, some of his disciples started leaving him because Jesus was talking about how he was the bread of heaven and how if they wanted to have eternal life, they needed to come and eat from him, eat of him. And they were like, that's weird. You sound like a cannibal and we are out, Jesus. And so some of his disciples left. But the ones that stayed, Jesus looked at them and he asked them, do you want to go as well? And you know what Peter said, speaking for the group? He said, to who else would we go? Because you, Jesus, have the words of life. God's words are words of life. They show us Jesus, who is the word of God, who's brought eternal life for sinners through the shedding of his blood on the cross. God's words are the words of life. They give us hope in a world that is broken. We've received wisdom. We've received understanding. We receive life. But we also receive a relationship. We see this in verse 102 in the second part. For you have taught me. For you have taught me, the psalmist says. God's word isn't understood or or accepted by the will of man. It only comes through the grace of God. Many people can read and hear this, this famous passage of scripture proclaimed, and some will never believe it or receive it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Many people hear that verse and they reject it. But for those of us who have have faith in Christ, that verse is a comfort for us. And it's truth. It's only by the grace of God that his word is understood by anyone. He teaches his people. He works on their hearts. He convicts us. He opens our eyes and our hearts to see and to believe what he has to say. When you learn anything good at church through Sunday school or through sermons or through podcasts that you might listen to, it's not because of me. It's because of what Jesus is teaching you through his word. All good, faithful, um, all good, faithful people who teach or preach, they're pointing you to Jesus. And it's Jesus is the one who's teaching you. So that's the what of, of God's word. That's the, what it gives. Um, but what is our response to God's word and to God's law? What is our response? This is the last part of the, of the first point that I wanted to think about. I love, and this is something that we started doing in the last five or six years, I love, and at first I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Um, I love that after God's word is read on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights, that we as the congregation say, thanks be to God, that this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love that we say this. Christians are thankful for the word of God because it shows us Jesus and it shows us how life is, to be, is, is best lived. Our response to God's word and his law is one of thanks. We see it in multiple ways, what the psalmist says, how his response to God's word and and to his law. Christians love the law and the word of God. We see that in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. When you love something, you think tirelessly about it. It's what you daydream about. It's what captivates your mind as you're walking through the grocery store or driving in your car. Christians are captivated by the word of God. Do you love God's word, Christian? 
God's words are sweet to his people. He says that in verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. How sweet are your words to my taste. God's words are not bitter or unpleasant, but they're sweet, even the hard ones. Um, A commentator um, who who I've loved um, said this, that attraction to the true and revulsion against the false are for us acquired tastes. That's That's so true. Um, God's word is hard, but it is sweet. Um, and as people who've left a life of sin and sinning, and we are now pursuing Jesus in righteousness, God's words are sweet to us. They are acquired tastes. Not only does the psalmist love the law or the, and the word of God, not only are the, are the words sweet, but what else does he say? He says in verse 99 that he meditates on God's word. In 99 he says this, for your testimonies are my meditation. Your testimonies are my meditation. Christians remember God's word in moments of great need. And if they don't remember it, they go back to it. They know where to go. One of the most fruitful things that I did in high school, um, now almost 20 years ago, was that I decided, and I don't say this pridefully, but I decided to try to memorize the book of James. And it was great. And I had these flashcards. And I, I don't, you know those little flashcards? I like ripped them in half and I wrote on the front and the back. And so I made it through chapter four into the beginning of chapter five and I didn't make it all the way, which is okay. But do you know what, you know what's been etched in my brain? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If I memorize the book of James only for that first part, it was valuable. Because I've gone through life, I'm 37, almost 38, and life is hard, right? Life is hard. God's word is something that we meditate on. It gives us hope in the midst of trials. It points us to Jesus when we feel like life is caving in. Our catechism also does a great job about how we as Christians are to receive and respond to the word of God. This is what it says. It says, the word of God may become an effectual mean of salvation. In order for it to become that, we must attend to it with diligence, with preparation and prayer. We should receive it with faith and love. We should lay it up in our hearts, and we should practice it in our lives. Do you know how convicting that is as a pastor? Like, I need to do this more. To, to receive God's word with diligence, preparation, and prayer. To receive it with faith and love. To lay it up in our hearts. To practice it in our lives. The psalmist's response to the law of God and the word of God is thanks. He loves it. it the word, his words are sweet. He meditates on them. So that's the what. That was, we're, we're going to zoom in to the end here. Our, last two, our second point is this, is watch out, watch out. God's word warns us to stay on the right path because of the dangers that lie ahead when we go down other roads that lead his people away from him and away from his son, Jesus. I can't help but think of um, the, the Pilgrim's Progress, that great novel. Fairly quickly into the story on Christian's journey towards the celestial city, he comes to a break in the road um, it's the hill of difficulty, and the path splits. I'm going to read it, and it's a little long, but it's really good. So this is, what, this is what, um, what we hear from Christian. I beheld then that they all went on until they came to the foot of the hill of difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring. Here there also were two other ways besides that path, which came straight from the narrow gate, one turned to the left hand, the other to the right. However, the narrow way went straight up to the hill of difficulty. 
Christian now went to the spring and he drank to refresh himself. And then he began going up the hill saying, the hill though high I choose to ascend, the difficulty will not me offend. For I perceive the way to life lies here. Come take heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. The other two men also came to the foot of the hill. When they saw that the hill was very steep and high, and that there were two other easier ways to go, and supposing that these two ways might again meet on the other side of the hill with the same hard way that Christian chose, they resolved to go down those easy paths. Now the name of one of those ways was danger, and the name of the other destruction. And so one took the way called danger, which led him to an enormous bewildering forest, and the other took the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark pits, where he stumbled and fell and rose no more. I then looked at Christian going up the hill, where because of the steepness of the hill, I saw he went from running to walking, and from walking to crawling on his hands and knees. Now, about midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor, made by the Lord of the hill for the refreshment of weary travelers. And when Christian arrived there, he sat down and he rested. He then put, pulled his scroll out from his bosom and read to his comfort. He also began to examine the garment that was given him while at the cross. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. There are different paths. And God's word tells us to watch out for the paths that look easy, that might bring us momentary satisfaction, and to follow him and his ways, even if they may be hard. The paths that lead us away from Jesus are always dangerous, and sometimes they very well will lead to our eventual destruction. And let's be honest, our temptation based on the sinful DNA that we were born with has been that there is a delight and a pleasure in sin. Attraction to the true and revulsion against the false are for us, after all, acquired tastes. This is what we celebrate, the easy way, the fun way, the life where you do what you want and you, you do whatever you please. I mean, I could easily think of two songs. The first is this, ACDC, right? Live in easy, love and free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. I'm on the highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell. And then a little bit more confusing is Billie Eilish, who's very popular now. She wrote a song called All the Good Girls Go to Hell. It's a little provocative. But she said this, My Lucifer is lonely, standing there, killing me. Can't commit to anything but a crime. Peter's on vacation, St. Peter. An open invitation, animals, evidence, pearly gates look more like a picket fence once you get inside them. Got friends but can't invite them. Hills burn in California. It's my turn to ignore you. Don't say I didn't warn you. All the good girls go to hell. What she's saying, I think, is that people who do good according to God's standards ultimately are being held back. And that's what the view of our culture is. Both of these songs celebrate a carefree life where we, we and not God are the sole authority of how we want to live. If it makes us happy, go for it. Do what you want. In the end, the pearly, the pearly gates are more like a picket fence. God's word is a guide and it's a roadmap and a lamp. It shows us what to watch out for. It shows us who to look to when we get down the wrong paths, Jesus himself. It shows us the areas where we may stumble and that would lead us astray. It tells God's people to watch out and to be on the lookout for people and places that will lead us away from Jesus. We see this over and over and over again in our passage tonight. Look at verses 101 and 102. He says this, that I hold back my feet from evil ways. 
I do not turn aside from your rules. In verse 109, the psalmist says this, I hold my life continually in my hands. Another translation says it like this, that my life constantly hangs in the balance. In 104, he says that I hate every false way. In 110, he says, the wicked have laid a snare for me. God's word warns us. It tells us to watch out for the paths that are going to lead to our own demise and our own destruction. So that was the what. That was the watch out. And then lastly and quickly, without wavering. This whole theme about two paths, you can read it in Psalm 1. You can go read it later because that's a great way that the psalm set up for everything that follows. But Jesus also got it exactly what the Pilgrim's Progress was at when he said this. He said this in Mark, Mark 7. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wider for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. We as Christians are to continue on this journey of life as we walk the path of righteousness with Jesus by our side without wavering. This is, what, this is how the psalm and this ends, um, this, this section, the second section in verse 111 and 112. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. There's a phrase that I've heard about the Christian life. I actually think it came from um, a philosopher that wasn't a Christian who's pretty much opposed to Christianity. But it's this, is that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. That's what the Christian life is about. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson wrote that book. He was a wonderful pastor and theologian. He wrote um, The Message, which is a great paraphrase of the Bible. But he wrote in, in, this, in the introduction to, this, to his book this, that the word pilgrim tells us that we are people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose pathway for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. What does that mean? This is what I think that it means, is that this book, this book is about a person. This book is about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it shows us, his people, how to walk through life with him on our journey to our eternal home where he has prepared a place for us. Sometimes we come to a path in the road that leads us down roads that are not helpful for our Christian walk or our Christian life. And we mistakenly or regretfully made a poor choice and we walked down it. But for the Christian, Jesus will always come and he will always find us and he will always bring us back. He will hold on to his people. And yes, we will repent. And yes, we will experience sorrow for our folly for choosing the wrong way. But we will, with new obedience, walk forward through life on our pilgrimage to our heavenly city, heaven itself. I mean, how awesome is it that for the Christian, that if our faith is in Jesus, though we may struggle with sin and sinning, we may go down the wrong path at times, but Jesus brings us back, that we have God on our side. If we have Jesus on our side, we have nothing to fear, and we have no one to fear. Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? This whole theme about moving forward and pressing on without wavering is pictured perfectly in Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the way that that famous chapter about the hall of faith starts out. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we also hear in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the, the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments, his word, and his law. This world is difficult. It's hard to live as a faithful Christian in a world that clearly opposes God and Jesus. But Jesus has overcome the world. We all know what Jesus said, that I've, I've come so that I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the, the, the world. You know what's amazing? Is that when I read like Psalm 1, or when I read this passage tonight, um, or when I was reading this passage this week, I oftentimes put myself in there, and I'm like, how can I obey God's law? But you know who I see more clearly? Is it's Jesus. This is Jesus who has kept God's law perfectly. And we obey and we follow, not in order to gain his affection, but because we already have it. Our obedience isn't to gain God's love. Our obedience is displayed because we want to be faithful to a God who has loved us and who has given himself for us. So if that was an encouragement for you tonight, let's go ahead and pray, and then um, we will sing this last song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we are thankful for this time that we could spend in your word tonight. Lord, we are all on this path. We are all on this journey through life. Lord, let us lean into Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's our pioneer. He's the one who leads us along the way. Help us to live as faithful servants to you, King Jesus. Um, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.